You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 78. Psalm chapter 78 is where we'll be today. As you're getting to that passage, I want to remind you that we do have our men's uh, conference coming up at Snowbird this weekend. Um, so we're excited about that. I want to ask our men that are going, if you don't mind sticking around at the very end, we want to get together and kind of talk about transportation, departure times, um, just so we can work out some of those details. So um, encourage you to stick around and let's get those things worked out as we look towards a great weekend coming up. Um, and then uh, encourage you, if you haven't been able to make plans for today, if you don't have anything going on, I did post the time wrong yesterday, but it's at three o'clock today that they'll be doing the Acts three-man show down at First Baptist Noonan. Again, we had a chance to take our youth on um, Friday night, and it was just an incredible show, an incredible depiction of the book of Acts from start to finish. Three dudes that just go through the entire thing, playing every character that you can imagine in that book, and just a really cool, encouraging time. Encourage you, if you don't have anything going on this afternoon, uh, to make plans to go down there. Um, I don't think you'll be disappointed, so I encourage you to do that if you can. Psalm chapter 78 is where we'll be today, and uh, I think it is the second longest psalm next to Psalm 119, so we got a lot to cover today, but the way we're going to do this is we're going to focus primarily on verses 1 through 8, and then at the end, we will kind of read through the remaining passage and just make a couple of highlighting points um, to wrap it up, and so um, we should have plenty of time to get through everything today, but let me read for us verses 1 through 8, where we'll kind of build our understanding of this chapter and then see how the remaining verses fit into uh, what the psalmist tells us in these first eight verses. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments." And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Our summary sentence for today, Christians must embrace a responsibility to teach others about God, specifically his attributes, his abilities, and his authority, so that together we will be inclined to both hope in him and obey him without forgetting him. Christians must embrace a responsibility to teach others about God, specifically his attributes, his abilities, and his authority, so that together we will be inclined to both hope in him and obey him without forgetting him. For our kids, Christians need to know God, believe God, and help others to do the same. That's the message that we see packaged here in these first eight verses, the need, the responsibility that we have to know God ourselves individually, but to be equipped to then share him with others as well. Um, And not just a head knowledge about him, but an intimate awareness of who he is, who he is from a character standpoint, um, who he is from a power standpoint, who he is from a uh, commands and laws and instructions standpoint as well. And so we're going to see how the psalmist draws attention to the importance of this type of teaching, that we're teaching our our kids, we're teaching the next generation, we're teaching those younger than us, whether it's by age or just by maturity within the church even. So don't think that this is just a passage for those who have kids, because I don't think that's the case. I think we as Christians have a responsibility to teach others. Um, I think that there is the context that that certainly falls upon the mother, the father, to teach their children. Right? That's one of our responsibilities as parents, but it's not relegated just to the parent, right? Because I think what we try to demonstrate within this church is a everybody teaching type of mentality, right? Whether it's coming together in C groups, whether it's gathering in our D groups, whether it's participating in our kids' club ministry or our youth ministry, we want everybody to buy into the fact that there is opportunities to teach and encourage one another 
from your own outflowing of your faith in your own life, right? And so we have this responsibility to know God and to teach others about God as well. Like I said, it's the, the second longest psalm overall. It's the longest historical psalm. And by historical psalm, we're saying that this psalm references true events, events that had happened in Israel's past, right? And so there's several psalms that do that. This is the longest of all of those. And it summarizes important foundational stories of the Bible. And so we'll read through some of these at the end today. But these stories are meant to help us see, like I said, the attributes of God, the abilities of God, and the authority of God. We're going to see wondrous deeds that God did in the past, signs and wonders that he worked against Egypt. Once again, we're going to see the parting of the Red Sea come up. I told you it's an important part of our history as God's people. We see his care and his mercy as we read through these stories in Psalm 78. Uh, We're going to see references again to how God guided the children of Israel by a cloud during the day and by fire at night. And we read over that and we, we talk about that and we probably fail to just stop and ponder about how cool that is, that that God's people are wandering in the wilderness. They don't know where to go exactly, and God's giving them step-by-step directions about where to go next, by day with a cloud, by night with a pillar of fire. And remember, in some of these other Psalms, we talk about how God cares for his people by day and by night, right? That he's a shade so that the sun doesn't harm us by day, and that the moon doesn't harm us by night. Think about the protection that's even mentioned through a cloud by day in the, in, the, in the wilderness. Where there are no trees, there is no natural shade. God is providing shade through the cloud that guides them. Then think about at night, right? The dangers of night that we highlighted, right? Can you imagine being an enemy or, or a prey, an animal, and thinking that, hey, there's a group of people, I'm going to go invade their camp, and you're met with a pillar of fire, Right? Imagine just the natural protection that's built in there by God's presence being made known in the evening, right? God's guidance, his protection, his care, his mercy. We're going to see provisions of food and water that God gave to his people through manna and through the water uh, that would come forth from the rock. Even his mercy and their failures is highlighted here in Psalm chapter 78. We also see the need to obey him. References to the law are given to Israel here and even God's judgments towards their sin. It's a historical psalm, but it's really a psalm that's concerned about the future, right? Because there's this generational approach that's being talked about here from a discipleship standpoint. If you go back and kind of think through what the psalmist is saying here, uh, he's picturing great-grandparents teaching in such a way to reach their great-grandkids with the gospel, like if you think about who's being addressed here, fathers that have already passed on to their sons, right? And then their responsibility to teach their kids so that the kids who aren't even born yet will know the things of God, right? The perspective here is that great granddad is teaching in such a way that his great grandkids know God, that great grandmothers are teaching in such a way that great grandkids know God. Now, I don't know for sure, there may be one or two, but there's not a whole lot of great-grandparents here with us today, right? But the perspective would be that you embrace a mindset that as you teach, you are seeking to teach great-grandkids. You're seeking to teach the next, next generation through the ways that you teach individuals today. The goal isn't just to teach individuals that are around you today, The goal is to teach in such a way that that teaching is sustained to the next generation and to the next generation. This past generation is teaching the current generation so that the next generation and the next, next generation will know God. What's interesting is that what that that really implies to us is how relevant the gospel remains, right? We don't have to worry about what we're living for today, whether that stays relevant years and years and years from now, right? The book that we have submitted to through Christ, writing this book through the Holy Spirit, through men, right? The, the teachings of God's word, these things remain relevant for all time, right? They remain relevant for all time. So even those who are yet unborn, the gospel is relevant for them. So there is a perspective here for our parents, right? That our parents have a responsibility to teach and to teach faithfully. And so I want to I speak to our parents for just a minute before we jump into the text and see some points of application. Um, Because I think if we're not careful, we can check boxes and think that we're doing this. 
that we're, we're teaching our kids the Bible, we're teaching them to know about God, and yet maybe not going as far as the psalmist would have us to go in going not just from teaching their minds, but teaching their hearts, okay? And so I want to give our parents three things to be mindful of this morning. First, be mindful that the most important things you will ever teach your children are the things you teach them about God. For our parents, be mindful that the most important things you will ever teach your children are the things that you teach them about God. It's more important than the sport that you teach them. It's more important than school subjects. It's more important than skill sets that you would like to pass on. It's more important even than your family ideals that you hope that they embrace, right? The ways that you do things, the things that you value, the things that you teach them about God are the most important things that you'll ever teach them. And our children need the whole counsel of God, not just bits and pieces, right? We're living in a day and age in a culture where, where our kids are, unfortunately, I think, being given the freedom to think that they can pick and choose which parts of God to embrace, Right? Uh, it's almost like this, this Golden Corral type perspective when it comes to Christianity, right? Our family went to Golden Corral last night. Um, and, and there are so many choices of, of what to eat, right? And you can pick and choose what, what fancies you and, and what you're desiring, and you come back, and everybody's plate kind of looks different. Um, and it really looks different when it becomes dessert time because um, my kids have some weird tastes in dessert, right? And, and Abram's kind of finicky because he doesn't like chocolate, um, and so he comes back last night at one point with a bowl of either cherry or strawberry topping that's supposed to go on like a pie, but it's just piled high, just the topping, just the sugary red topping, right? Um, and, and so you kind of pick and choose at Golden Corral what you want, what you don't want. There's things that you can completely avoid. Like I didn't even go near the salad bar last night. I just didn't, right? I didn't have, I didn't have room for that when I knew what was coming on the main course meal and the dessert meal, right? But you can just kind of pick and choose. And unfortunately, I feel like that's where sometimes our kids are, are being pushed to this idea that they can pick and choose which parts of the Bible to embrace, which parts to hang on to, and which parts to just ignore, which parts don't apply or which parts aren't necessary. As parents, we have to remember that we're teaching the whole counsel of God to our students. Secondly, be careful about maintaining a balance between protecting your children and equipping your children. Be careful about maintaining a balance between protecting your children and equipping your children. Your instructions need to be life-giving and life-equipping. They need to know the why and the how. Now, you've heard stats about how many of our kids are leaving the faith once they step out of their mom and dad's house, right? They've been raised in church, they've been raised in a Christian home, and they're abandoning the faith for, for a whole host and variety of reasons, I'm sure, right? But that, that's, that's something that we're being, we're being told, and, and, and I, I would say I'm seeing that the more that I work with kids as well. Kids who have been raised to live a certain way, taught to live a certain way, and then once they're given the freedom to make choices, they're choosing a different way. And I think part of it may be that if we're not careful we, we, we isolate our kids and, and, we, and we seek to protect our kids and shelter our kids and, and we don't want them exposed to certain things because we're fearful of what that could lead to. And in the midst of that, we fail to ever equip our kids to handle the things that they are going to inevitably face at some point. We can't protect them forever, right? We can't shelter them forever. I was talking to a parent, you know, we've got over 350 kids in our middle school now. And so you've got potentially 350 different types of homes that these kids come from, where there's different levels of what it means to, to be conservative and, and what it means to be free with how you're handling your kids, right? And so I had a parent reach out to me that was concerned about some of the things that we were having our kids read in one of our grade levels. And, and, and I was just sharing with them, look, we're trying to equip our kids to filter the things that are coming later in life through the lens of God's word, through the biblical perspective, right? We're not gonna just read Christian things. We're gonna have non-Christian things introduced. Why? Because we want our kids to see the world through the lens of God's word. We wanna equip them, right? We, wanna, we don't wanna just protect them. Imagine if, if David's dad had refused to let him care for the sheep and had come running to protect him every time a lion or a bear came out. David says, I'm prepared to face Goliath. Why? Because I, I've fought lions and bears before. Right? I, I'm equipped to handle greater things because I've tackled lesser things. 
right? As parents, we have to be careful that we don't, we don't protect them in such a way that we fail to equip them as well, right? We've got to equip our kids to, to understand that God's Bible, God's Word is relevant for all of life, not just for church life, not just for home life, but for every aspect of life they will encounter. We've got to teach our kids how to filter the things that are happening around them in this world through what God's Word says, life-giving and life-equipping. And then lastly, for our parents, be intentional about the normals you are creating for your child in regards to how your family worships God. Be intentional about the normals you are creating for your child in regards to how your family worships God, right? You, You were born into a normal life for yourself. Whoever you were born to, you grew up and that was normal life for you, right? You, you may have had the experiences before where you go into somebody else's home and they do things differently from you and it just feels weird, right? Some of you grew up and some of you in your homes now, you open one Christmas present on Christmas Eve, right? Other families, they open all their Christmas presents on Sunday morning and that's just normal for your family's life. Be careful about the type of normals that you're creating for your family right now in regards to how you worship God. I put in my notes, what are the normals you grew up with and are you having to retrain your mind in any way now that you're older, right? For me, I grew up where it was normal. We were always at church. We were always at church. Obviously, my dad was a pastor, and so that was part of being a pastor's kid, a pastor's family. But even when we, when we left the church as far as my dad pastoring and we were just members of a church, we were always at church when, when the doors were open, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that because what that did for me is it created a level of normalcy that we're going to always be in church. We're going to always be in church, right? And and so that's kind of translated to my life today. Obviously, pastor, my family is going to always be here, but that's just normal life for me, whether I'm pastoring or not pastoring. Be careful about the normals that you're creating for your kids. What is normal for them in regards to how your family worships God? Because here's the thing. We gather to worship not to check a box, not from a legalistic mindset of, well, we're supposed to go to church, so we're going to do it. No, what this passage is telling us, what this psalm is telling us is that we gather to worship and sing, we gather to worship and learn, and we gather to worship and share with others. Why? So we don't forget. So we don't forget. If that's why there's an urgency to this, right? The urgency is, is that we have to gather so that we don't forget, Verse 7 says that you teach and you instruct and you share so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Because if you don't have this perspective, verse 8 kicks in, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We're going to see as we read through the rest of this psalm here shortly that The reason they're not steadfast, the reason they're not faithful to God, the reason they're rebellious and stubborn is because they forget. They forget the things that God has done, right? So why do we gather on a Sunday morning? Are we commanded to? Absolutely, but why are we commanded to? So that we don't forget because we are a people who are prone to forget, right? If I asked you right now, what did I preach last Sunday? You, you, you probably have to think for a minute because I had to think for a minute this morning. Then I remembered, oh, it was application Sunday last week. And so we just reviewed a lot of stuff. We're prone to forget. And here's the thing, in, in the culture that we live in today, there's a lot of things that we don't have to remember that previously we used to have to maybe, right? Technology has made things, it's even changing the way that we instruct and teach in schools because now Our kids are carrying around devices that can answer a lot of the questions that we used to get paid to teach your kids to know, right? You probably had a math teacher at some point who told you that you needed to know certain aspects of math. Why? Because you weren't going to have a calculator with you at all times, right? And and now we do, right? We have a calculator with us all, all times if you have a cell phone, right? So there's things that used to, you had to remember And now you don't really have to remember them so much because it's only a a, a touch of a finger away to get that answer. Even on our our phones, we can carry our Bibles with us, right? But what we're talking about here, the things that we have to know and remember, we need those things in a moment's notice. We may not have time to look that up. And to be honest, our heart probably won't be inclined to look it up if we've already forgotten it, right? So when an angry parent email comes in to me, right, my first thought isn't, I need a Bible verse for this situation. I just can't remember which one. Let me do a search and see if I can find that, right? 
No, I need the parent email to come through and me to read it and for me to immediately remember God's word says, you vindicate me, Lord, not me, right? You're the one that's gonna vindicate me here, not me. And I need that in a moment's notice because if not, in a moment's notice, I fire off an email or I go pull a coworker into this and start complaining and, and, and gossiping and slandering the parent who sent it, Right? In a moment's notice, I need God's word to kick in and to shape how I'm responding to circumstances that are just coming in a whirlwind sometimes in a given day, right? If I'm not, if I'm not knowing God like I need to, I'm prone to forget him. I'm prone to be stubborn and rebellious, right? So we, we gather, we worship, we invest so that we won't forget, so that we won't forget. All right, let's look in our notes now. Let me give you three, three action points as I normally do for us as we look at the text, specifically verses one through eight. Number one, be knowing the Bible to teach others. Be knowing the Bible to teach others. All right, the psalmist begins with this, this mindset or this concept of us knowing things, but not just for ourselves personally, but for the purpose of passing it on to others. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old. Things that we've heard and known that our fathers have told us. Right? He says, I'm going to teach you some things. I'm going to share some things with you. And it's things that you've already heard before, probably. It's things that you've already been told. Number one, we have a responsibility to pursue a knowledge of God's word from others. Right? We have this responsibility. The psalmist says, you should have heard some of these things already. Lord willing from mom and dad. Right? I think that's where the primary responsibility in Scripture is given to how our kids come to know Jesus. It's through mom and dad. Right? It's not mom and dad passing them off to a Christian school or to a kids' class or to a youth group or to church. Like, the primary responsibility is for mom and dad to convey to that child who God is. And my hope and prayer is that as parents within this church, your kids will one day say, my primary understanding of God came from mom and dad. Not just from Adam teaching on a Sunday, not just from coming to certain things that we offer here at this church, but primarily mom and dad are ones, the ones who told me about God. We have a responsibility to pursue a knowledge of God's word from others. Even though we may have heard many things about God, we need to keep listening and learning more. Because the psalmist tells us, give ear to the things that I'm about to say. These are things that you would have already heard from your father, potentially. And I think there's another piece that goes along with this. At times, what we hear will be confusing and difficult, but we need to seek understanding. Right? He says in verse 2, I'll open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings from of old. Right? You read that, and that doesn't sound easy to understand. Jesus quotes this passage in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 35. This is Jesus. We'll start in verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. We know Jesus spoke in parables. He taught his disciples in parables. And they grew in their understanding of his kingdom through parables. And then there were a lot of people who were just left confused, right? The thing about God's word is that sometimes it requires our deeper attention to it, right? To, to put together all the dots, to see that things in the Old Testament are pointing to things in the New Testament. That doesn't just necessarily come natural. It requires some effort on our part to invest, to know God through his word, because at times he's speaking to us in parables and dark sayings and, and things that are hard to understand. We have a responsibility to pursue a knowledge of God's word from others because others can usually help clarify and teach us further about some of those things that are difficult to comprehend. But then number two, we have a responsibility to pass on what God's word says to others. He says in verse four, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The psalmist appeals to the need for coming generations to know the things that we have come to know. And that was always God's intent. As God was working and moving amongst his people, particularly in the book of Exodus, he was doing so with the purpose of coming generations knowing him. Look what he says in Exodus 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh 
For I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among, you, among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. God tells Moses, he says, I want to do this so that your grandkids can know about it. Like, I want to do this in such a way that you have stories to tell your grandkids about me because they're going to need to know about me too, right? We have a responsibility to pass on what God says or God's word says to others in our life. To not do so is to hide it from them. We may not intentionally see ourselves hiding God's word, but the psalmist would tell us that we're to fight back against the tendency to hide it, and to hide it would be to not tell of it. He says we're not going to hide it from the children. We're going to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might and the wonders that he has done. And so responsibility is on our part. Again, not the elders, not Sunday school teachers, not small group leaders, not whoever you classify as a teacher. It's not just on them to be capable of teaching others, right? So get your mindset out of this being a passage about formal teaching. This is about passing on stories. This is about passing on the goodness of God, sharing those stories with others, right? And I think our kids need to hear both the biblical stories and the stories that happen in our own family's life too, right? The stories that God is doing today in your family's life, those are the stories that need to be talked about. Your kids need to hear the, the relevancy of the gospel, not just in the Old Testament, but for today as well. Be knowing the Bible. Be knowing the Bible in such a way where you can teach others what the Bible says as well. Number two, be teaching the Bible for others to know. Be teaching the Bible for others to know. Number one, we must teach the next generation who God is, his attributes, who he is. We tell of his glorious deeds, verse 4 tells us. We tell of his glorious deeds towards his people. Now here how the, here's how this ties in with his attributes, because his deeds are glorious because of who he is and who we are, right? The deeds are great. They become glorious when we process the fact that the things that God does for his people are people who don't deserve those things, right? The ways that God works towards sinful and rebellious Israel clue us into the type of God that he is, that he's a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy, right? He tells us, I'm this type of God in Exodus 34, and then he demonstrates that he's that type of God all through the wanderings in the wilderness, I'm a merciful God. I'm a gracious God. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love and mercy. My deeds are glorious because of the type of God that I am. The next generation needs to know that everything begins and ends with him, that he created, he sustains, and he rules over all. We teach the next generation who God is. Number two, we must teach the next generation what God has done. Not just who he is, but what he has done. The glorious deeds are done with might, and they are done with wonder. It's his ability. He's a great God, but he's a powerful God as well. We tell of his might and his wonders, the ways he has worked outside of the assumed or expected to accomplish his will. Think about all these times throughout biblical history, and then even in your own life, where things would have been assumed or expected that this is how things are going to go. And then God intervenes and works in a totally different way for his glory, right? If you're the children of Israel, you're standing there at the brink of the Red Sea and you're thinking that the assumed and expected thing is what? We're about to die because they begin to cry out to Moses, why did you do this? It would have been better for us to die in Egypt. Why did you bring us here to now die? We are assuming and expecting that we are dead now. And then God intervenes and splits the Red Sea in two. And then they walk through on dry land. And then the Egyptians are completely obliterated without them having to fight at all. Right? Our kids need to know. Our kids need to know. The next generation needs to know that we serve this type of God who works outside of the assumed and the expected. The next generation needs to know that everything he has done speaks to our situations today. Because here's, I think, too, where the temptation falls for our kids. Because we've got some great storytellers that are writing books and making movies. And if we're not careful, our kids don't differentiate between the two. Right? If we're not careful, our kids will love some of these other stories and fail to personalize the ones that are, that are their family's history, really. Right? Right? Harry Potter, great stories. Star Wars, great stories. 
right? These are great movies. These are great books. These are great adventures. But if we're not careful, the Red Sea just gets grouped in with those same good stories. And for some of those stories, they're better in our, in our kids' minds because why? Better movies are made about those stories than what we have from a spiritual side of things too, right? We've got to help our kids see that, hey, there's some great stories out there, but the Red Sea is a great story, not just because it's a great story, but because of what it means for you today. Because here's the thing, I can't sit down with my kids and talk about the, the coolness of Star Wars and try to relate the Force or Jedi to what they're dealing with today, right? There's no hope in that good storytelling. It's good storytelling, like we enjoy it, like we enjoy sitting down on a Friday night and watching the next series in a Disney Plus TV show about Star Wars. But at the end of the day, there's no hope in that story. Right? Our kids have got to be able to see the, different, the differences between good storytelling. That in Scripture, it's more than just stories. These things speak to us today. Right, The deliverance in Egypt, he sets us free today from our bondage to sin and idols so that we can be his people. That's what he did with, it, with Egypt. Right, He sets the children of Israel free from bondage to a group of people where they were worshiping idols, he brings his people out into the wilderness and makes them separate and distinct and different. That story speaks to us today because that's what he does in salvation, right? He takes us where we are in bondage to sin. We are slaves to sin and we are slaves to the idols that come with this world. And he takes us out of that. He frees us from that so that we can be distinctly different as his people. Like the wilderness provisions, he takes care of us in the ways we precisely need and at the exact times we need it, right? Food and water come to the children of Israel exactly when they need it. And God's still working that way today. We need these stories to speak to our contentment level about the Christian life. Just like Israel is prone to long for Egypt or they're prone to complain about manna, give us quail, we're prone to complain that way too. Man, and I know that the temptation is great for our kids who have been raised in a Christian school and maybe profess Christ at an early age. There is a temptation to want to go back, to want to go back to the old ways because they go to school with kids who are living in the old ways and they don't see God's judgment right away, right? We've seen in Psalms where, hey, Lord, I'm fretting over the wicked. Like, why are the wicked prospering? The temptation is for me to live like the wicked because they are prospering. And I know the temptation is great for our kids to live that way, to go back to living that way for those that are believers, to stay living that way for those that aren't, right? We need to see a contentment level that comes from knowing that, that God provides for us when we need it. We don't have to long for Egypt. And we don't have to cry out for quail when God's not giving it to us right now. We can be content with manna. We can be content with God's provision. We need these stories to speak to us today. Israel forgot God's victory over the gods of Egypt and they turned to worship once again what God had defeated. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and yet we are prone to want to turn back to. We can look to these Old Testament stories. We can look to the book of Exodus and see that Israel should have been able to trust God in any situation, but they forgot him, right? We, we read as the reader and we read the story of Israel and we're like, man, what are you guys doing? Why are you doubting God? He's already done this, 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 and this for you. Man, if somebody was reading our story, they would have the same perspective, right? How can you doubt God right here? Look what he's done already for you previously. Teach the next generation what God has done. And number three, we must teach the next generation what God demands, his authority, the commands that he desires for us to obey. And I think it's important that we start with the, the who God is and the what God has done because that gives us every reason to submit to his commands. If you start with do this, 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 and this for God, man, that pushes against our flesh, right? But if you tell me who God is and you tell me all the things that God has done, the Holy Spirit begins to work on my heart and I say, why would I not want to follow him? If he's this type of God who is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love and mercy, and he's the type of God that always takes care of his people and he's always working good for them and all of his commands are good. Man, give me the commands. Like, give me the rules. Give me the things that he wants me to do because this is a merciful and gracious and abounding and steadfast love God. Like, why would I not follow him? Our kids need to see that type of God so that they are inclined to follow him. We tell them about his authority. We warn them about sin. We're going to see this specifically when we read through the remaining part, but in verses 18 through 20, 
It says they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? They were forgetting God. They were doubting God. They were questioning God. They were demanding further proofs from God. It wasn't good enough that God had done things previously. It was, what is he doing for me right now? And, And I want you to prove this. Show me a sign, God. Show me that you're capable of taking care of me. They weren't believing him. We need to warn others about sin. We need to announce to others the greatness of his grace. Look what verse 38 says. Rebellion, doubt, forsaking of God, all takes place before this in verse 38. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity, and he did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often. He did not stir up all of his wrath. Man, that's the type of God that we serve. When we fail him, He's compassionate. He atones for our iniquity. He doesn't destroy us. He restrains his anger. He doesn't stir up all of his wrath. He could. He could do all those things. He chooses not to. He chooses not to. His compassion, his atonement, his mercy. I mean, all these, all these things here in verse 38, they point to Romans 3, 25 and 26. It says that in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Why? Because he knew that he was going to pour out his wrath on Christ. This points to Jesus. It points to what he did on the cross for us. He is our salvation. We teach the next generation about what God demands. And then number three, be modeling the Bible so others believe. Be modeling the Bible so others believe. It's not just head content that the next generation needs. The next generation also needs to see this being lived out so they are inclined to live it out as well. Be modeling the Bible so others believe. Number one, we need to help connect the what with the why. We're not just to tell a bunch of stories about God. We're not just to talk about God. We're to do so with a purpose. Verse seven, so that they would set their hope in God. We want to connect the what with the why. Our, teacher, our teaching has to be, uh, have a bigger purpose than just filling the mind with knowledge to enable them to pass a test. Right? We're not giving them a test to see if they know Old Testament history. That's not the goal of our teaching the next generation. The goal is that they would set their hope in God. Right? It's a difference between information and transformation. So the first goal in our teaching, and I meant to make a slide for this and I didn't. The, the first goal in our teaching is that others would see why they should hope in God. It's a heart issue. We want to help people see why they should hope in God. Why? So they remain steadfast. Set their hope in God. Why? Because the the previous generation, their heart was not steadfast. They were not faithful to God. We want to teach in such a way where where our kids see the why behind why they should hope in God so that they'll keep hoping in God. Think about all the mighty acts, the protection, the provision, the mercy that Israel experienced. Don't think for a second that they forgot that those things happened. Right, Because God even built in a way for them to remember the factual events. They celebrated festivals all the time for these things. Right? Nobody forgot the Passover. They're still celebrating the Passover when Jesus comes. Right? They no more forgot the Passover than we forget Christmas. But we all know people celebrate Christmas regularly, and they're not celebrating the birth of Jesus. They're not celebrating the birth of the Messiah. Even people who... who claim to be Christians, celebrate Christmas, and they're not submitted to Jesus as king, right? So the children of Israel didn't forget in the sense that they just totally forgot that these things happened. No, they forgot the meaning for why these things happened. They forgot the why that these things happened. All these mighty acts, all these protections, all these provisions, all these mercies, all these festivals to remember, and yet we're told that they rebelled. They rebelled. They did not believe it says in verse 32 in spite of all this they still sinned despite his wonders they did not believe so he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror when he killed them they sought him they repented and sought god earnestly they remembered that god was their rock the most high god their redeemer but they flattered him with their mouths they lied to him with their tongues their heart was not steadfast toward him they were faith they were not faithful to his covenant right so all the wonders doesn't impact them Even God's discipline only has temporary effects. There's temporary repentance, right? That's a real danger zone when we get to the point when miracles aren't having an impact on us and chastisements from God are only producing temporary change. That's where Israel was. 
If we're going to teach the next generation to live differently, we have to teach them the why, why they should hope in God. It's not just enough to pass on the stories. It's the meaning of the stories and how they apply to us today. Number two, we need to help connect the what with the how. The what is the attributes of God, the ability of God, the authority of God. We need to tell them why that applies to them. And then we need to tell them how how they can live it out. So the second goal in our teaching would be that we teach that others would see how to keep growing in their knowledge of God so they don't forget. Again, not that they would forget. Our kids probably aren't in danger of forgetting the Red Sea story, right? We could stop everything right now and let them live till they're 80, and you would probably have kids that remember the Red Sea story, right? But if they're not faithfully worshiping with God's people, they will forget they will forget the implications of that story. A God who delivers his people. A God who saves and provides for his people. So we need to help them see the why to attack their heart. We need to, we need to help them attack their mind too, though, because they need to remember these things and how it applies to them. To keep growing in their knowledge of God. To know how to go to God's word and, and learn on their own so they don't forget. And then goal number three in our teaching is that others would see how to keep living in obedience to God. So their heart and their mind can act, right? So we need to model this for the next generation. We need to model what it looks like to, to love God and to remain steadfast and faithful to him. Our kids need to see faithfulness so they know what it looks like to live faithfully as well. The implication then for us is that we need to know him so we don't forget him. And we need to understand him so we don't forsake him. Right, so there's this piece that we need to know the stories of God. We need to know who he is. We need to know what he's done. We need to know the things that he asks of us so we don't forget them. But then we need to understand the why behind those things too. Otherwise, we're going to forsake him. We won't be steadfast with him. Instead, we'll, we'll, we'll focus on the trials that we're going through versus the blessings that he's given to us. Right? So we'll get into the wilderness and we'll grow, we'll grow discontent with the manna. We'll grow discontent that we don't have water immediately when we want it. The trials will start to weigh heavy on our mind over the blessings. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. We are too prone to engrave our trials in the marble and write our blessings in the sand. That's a good word. We're too prone to engrave our trials in the marble. Those are the things that we're prone to remember right? We'll drive those in. We will make those things permanent in our minds. The trials that we've experienced. But man, we are so prone to forget the blessings. We write them in the sand and the wind comes and blows it away and we forget. We forget how good God has been to us. We need to know him. Jeremiah chapter 9 talks about knowing him and understanding him. Look what it says in Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. We need to know him, and we need to understand him, and we need to teach others to do the same. I want to I end by reading the remaining part of Psalm 78. And I want you to draw attention to the consistency that's found here. The consistency in that man is always forgetting and failing and that God is always remembering and restoring. Look what it says in verse 9. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. This is an allusion to the northern kingdom of Israel when the tribe split and they went running after idols. They didn't keep God's covenant. Verse 11, they forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down the rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him. 
rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, God can spread a table in the wilderness. He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and he opened the doors of heaven and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Even in his anger, he provides for them. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens and by his power, he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sands of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings and they ate and were filled. They were well filled for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer, but they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were there. Sorry, he remembered that they were but flesh a wind that passes and comes not again. He oft, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan. He turned their rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locusts and the fruit of their labor to the locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail and their flocks to thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the first fruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. He brought them to his holy land, to the mountains which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them. He had proportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. For they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath, and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men, and their young women had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke us from sleep like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. We know that, that God continued to allow Israel to fall under the control of other nations as a punishment, right? We're seeing that as we read through this. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Man is unfaithful. God is always faithful. Our application. Number one, learn from the mistakes of God's people in the past and keep remembering what you have been taught. Remember and learn from the mistakes of God's people in the past. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 talks about these stories are given to us as an example. Don't, don't do this. Don't forget like them. Don't follow after idols. Don't tempt God. Number two, see the need for others around you to know what you know and find ways to teach others these truths. We have to remember it for ourselves, and then we have to faithfully teach it to others too. We'll close with this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods. Skip down to verse 20. When your son asks you time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. He brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. God says, you remember this, and then you teach your kids this too. Teach them not to forget it. Let's pray. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you that you chose to preserve these stories. You, you chose to preserve your wondrous deeds from so many years ago so that we can know those things today so that we can be helped in not forgetting you. God, help us to know you. You've given us so many resources to know you through your word. Lord, help us to know you so that we don't forget you. But God, help us also to understand you so that we don't forsake you. Lord, we need your understanding when we're facing trials when we're facing difficulties and we're, we're prone to think that you don't care and that you don't love and that you're not mindful of us. We're prone to be tempted to go after the things of this world when we see the wicked prospering. God, I know our kids are tempted to do this too. But Lord, help us to know you in a way that we don't forget you in those times. Help us to understand you in a way that we don't forsake you during those times. Lord, help us to know these things in a way that we can teach others the same. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.